Welcome to a new and very special edition of Crawling Mondays. Today I have uh, three other very highly experienced SEOs with me because I want to make this edition special about the most common international SEO challenges. So of course I had to invite other international SEOs with tons of experience to come and join me today in order to highlight and go through the most common and top challenges across many different types of the scenarios and industries. We have here Gianluca Fiorelli. He has his own SEO consultancy too. He's um, originally from Italy, but based in Spain. Meeting Manchanda. The first time you're pronouncing like that, so I'll take that. Manchanda. Okay, much, much more exotic. He's, he's originally <laughs> from India, but he lives in uh, Germany. He used to work in Tribago as a in-house SEO, and now he works at Omeo. And then we have David Ivano. He's from Australia originally. After living in London for a bit, he's now back in the Netherlands. Yes. And he, the head of SEO at The Known. In general, I think, seen many, many stuff uh, regarding international SEO. If I ask you, what is the top one mistake that you see again and again as international SEOs? Which would you say that is the top one? Oh, if I can start, Please. the most common one is um, clients with a website uh, that is trying to target too many countries at the same time without having really planned how to target them. And then they don't know how to do it, if it was worth doing it, if they have the resources, if they have the budget to maintain all this version. So this is usually the most common issue. Yeah, absolutely. So for me, I think it's SEO tracking because a lot of people just hear what others are doing and what is working for them and then blindly, you know, just copy that. So for me, the biggest mistake, I guess, is not experimenting, not tracking things. So if you don't track it, you won't know whether it's working for your brand or not. Because something that is working for another product, another industry might not work for you. SEO is so dynamic. So start tracking things and then see what works for you. And then if it works for you, you can think about expansion. And if it doesn't work for you, you can think about improving it and then testing it again. But yeah. Um, so I think the biggest one is laziness. So the failure to localize stuff. So, you know, oh, well, you know, we're operating in a Spanish-speaking market. Eh, Portuguese, it's close enough. Italian, eh, it's kind of the same. Dutch, German, you know, it's Germanic language. So I think that's one thing which I regularly see where a platform launches in one market and I hate to say it, but typically a lot of US companies are prone to this. You know, they will launch into, you know, the UK, Australia and use, you know, basic things such as American spelling. So you're trying to optimize for particular keywords. You have no chance. And also from a consumer's trust point of view, you know, if I'm going to a site and it has, you know, Zs instead of Ss, I immediately, you know, something's not right. And a lot of these things are very small. But yeah, I definitely think the failure to take time to localize something. And again, they're spending sometimes millions, tens of millions on marketing, and they won't spend $1,000 to get some proper copy written for the homepage. You know what? I, I think that realistically, many of these mistakes are tied to one may think that has to do a lot with what Gianluca mentioned. At the start, when many of, of the companies start doing international SEO and reaching international markets, they do it without really analyzing, validating, sometimes just by copying what the bigger player in the market is doing without thinking, 
how should I say my internationalization? Is it worthy for me to target countries or to target languages? Should I enable my international versions with CCTLDs or subdirectories? Do I have enough content and then technical resources and support and ongoing marketing resources and copywriter resources to be able to maintain all of these international versions because when someone comes and say i don't have resources I, I know that i should be enabling original content for each one of all these versions but i don't have resources for that that tells me that you didn't do your work well at the beginning validating if, if you didn't have the capacity or the resources to to maintain those versions why do you even enable them in the first place regarding technical related issues? Which are the top ones that you see? And how do you usually tend to fix them? Well, the gating, so the right direction uh, stuff is, it was more common, maybe because I work a lot with the European and European community web-based website. And so you know, maybe no, not everybody listening to us know, but by law, since uh, I think one year or a couple of years, it is forbidden to gate users uh, into one website. Let's say that I started to see a better situation with sense for Europeans' website. But yes, gating for all the other websites, get bristling people into one version, targeted version, which can be linguistic or geotargeted version, is still common. I, what I usually do is really explaining things to the clients. It's uh, relatively easy to make them understand that this is wrong, both in usability, in SEO, crawlability, yeah. and so this is a solution that I was able to, to manage. I think hreflang is something which is really easy to mess up. And I've seen a lot of companies, even big brands, you know, messing up, uh, messing up with that completely. So I've seen like a couple of big brands using, for example, wrong ISO codes altogether for language and uh, locations. So for UK, companies often use UK, but that's not right. I mean, for that, it's GB. So that's really common. I mean, I've seen like a lot of companies using different language codes, different uh, location codes, and then like it's, it's really easy to mess up. So that's one big thing. And then I think uh, I would also uh, categorize this uh, particular topic in technical, which is user experience. So basically mapping your demand with right supply. So Adidas, for example, is a very good example. So they in UK have a, a category called football shoes. And when they launched in the US, they had soccer shoes because there football is a diff different game altogether. So if you're creating a page for, for football shoes and targeting that demand, then it's incorrect then people would rather be looking for something else and then you are serving something else, which is not good for user experience. So connecting your demand with the, uh, with the supply that you have is really important. It's really important for user experience. And if you can't make a user happy, then of course, I mean, it's not good. How do you either. solve this two issue? Uh, here at Omeo, for example, we have a recommendation engine. So this basically uh, eats a lot of data from different places, Google Keyword Planner, for example, internal data and so on. So we consider all this data and then make decisions based on that. But in general, I mean, if you want to solve this problem, for example, this particular case where we have football shoes or soccer shoes, we are not sure what people are looking for uh, when they're based in US, then probably a very quick thing can be running a paid campaign and then see, you know, how it works. Because there you can just put some money and then get, get immediate results, which is not possible in case of SEO. And... That, that is what I would recommend here. To identify the demand in, in particular countries, you mean? Yeah, exactly. 
Okay, and for uh, for HR flag annotations? Oh yeah, for that, uh, I mean, uh, I'm a big fan of your tool toolkit. So you also have a, a HR flag checker, so XML creator as well. So I would recommend just checking it there because there you can get uh, codes for all the languages and all the countries. That's really easy. And otherwise, you can just uh, go to Wiki and then get all the language and country codes there, and then keep this map in your local system or in your infrastructure so that you are not missing it at any cost, anytime. I mean, for HF Lang, it's you know the validators. You know, there's you know various tools like Screaming Frog, um, Deep Crawl. You can do the custom extraction. So I, I think it's you also get the situation sometimes that page or category or product doesn't exist. Or it can be the case that, you know, in the UK, you might have one or two variations of the, you know, the Adidas um, football boot. And again, we might call it football boot instead of football shoe. Um, but in the US, you might have 15 different varieties. So you also have to deal with when you have one SKU in one market and 15 in another. These things can get very confusing. Also, if you're working with different CMSs, you know, I might refer to it as off-white, you might refer to it as white, you might refer to it as cream. So yes, I think in a lot of situations, manual mapping is sometimes needed, or you just make a decision certain pages don't have href line. Yeah. Uh, I, I think that that is the key. In fact, what I tend to do when I have a client with millions of URLs and there's a really highly dynamic type of generation of them, and sometimes they are not found in the same way across many of these markets, is prioritize. Don't bother starting with those. We need to come back to the issue that edge of line annotations actually want to solve. They are not the ones suffering from these issues of not being shown in the, in the relevant markets, but the top pages, the top category pages, the top location pages, the top listing, the top subcategory, the top facets that exist across all of these markets. And sometimes are, the names are very similar or in a similar or in the same language that end up competing against each other, can rivalize each other, shown in an inconsistent way, right? So for me, in a lot of cases, it's simplify it, at least at the beginning, right? Especially if there are no that many technical type of resources. And let's start building mapping and, and implementing Azure Plan in the top areas of, of the website. Then let's look in analytics and ranking tools, which are those particular pages that, that have actual geolocation is consistent issues and then implement the like annotations in those and if there, there is no support from a resources perspective then it's maybe better to generate the like annotations in xml sitemaps too the the Line generator tool from from bill han the Line builder is amazing for enterprise type of, of of website another thing sorry um on the, the hreflang thing which i see happening a lot is they mess up the url encoding so I worked with a very large job site and they actually found out they didn't actually use UTF-8 encoding on any of their multilingual um, URLs. So they were actually creating a whole bunch of sort of duplicate content and junk into the Google index because they hadn't correctly encoded the URLs. Although they'd set up the hreflang tags, they weren't actually working because Google's looked at it and said, mm, this is not the same thing as what I'm seeing when I crawl the site. Um, so I think that's another thing. If you are dealing with a global site, href lane tag is tick number one, but then actually look at the, um, the URL encoding because you may find that you've kind of um, only gone halfway. Where is problematic? It's problematic when you have canonicalized URLs and you are using the href lang. Let's create this kind of rule so in order that when a page is going no index, 
the href line annotation is eliminated. When the URL is canonicalized, then you have two options. If you are able to make that the href, href line is always the canonical, uh, or you have a second option. Quit the, the href line in that canonical, canonicalized uh, page because so uh, you are going to solve, I think, at least the 60% of the Mess, mistake message about mm -hmm. HRF line. So concentrate on always the 200, okay, URLs and indexable. Let's go to another very big topics that I am consistently asked and probably you are too, regarding international web structures, whether subdirectories, subdomains, or CCTLDs. I, I think a lot of the times mistakes are made um, I mean, even in, I know in my own projects, you know, I've launched on, you know, local um, uh, CCTLDs, so, you know, .com.au websites, and they start getting some traffic from, you know, overseas markets, but then you relaunch the version on a, glo on a global um, TLD and your traffic spikes. So I think if you look at big global brands, they typically run on um, a, a TLD. So, you know, booking.com you know, um, Pinterest, although Pinterest now uses subdomain, strangely. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I, I think it's very much the big players who have a centralised strategy and want to dominate the space. They don't run multiple, um, I guess, um, country-level domains. So I think it's very much the best practice strategy is to go with the top-level domain and use the, um, the folder structure for the countries. If you really, really have to do it, potentially subdomains, but the issue is you'll find is you can't often secure a lot of those domains. So all of a sudden in some markets, you know, you know, you're in, you know, Spain, you might be the Facebook.es and in Mexico, you know, you might be Facebook.mx or Facebook.com.mx. So I think that's the other thing is also very confusing for consumers. Um, the same thing when it comes to your link building budgets or, or content marketing um, or when it comes to I guess branding and marketing. So if I have to customize my marketing for every single market I'm running in, that's very expensive. Versus if you're booking.com, that's all you go with. You know, we're booking.com. That's a very simple message and it's very cost effective to scale that globally. Whereas we're, oh, in this market, we're booking.es. In this market, we're booking.mx. In this market, yeah. you know, we're booking.com.au.co.mz. It's very, very expensive also to buy all those domains globally and manage them in some markets, you have to set up a business unit to register a domain. So yeah, register domains if you can and make sure they redirect the correct folder, but definitely run on a global site. It's also I've seen from my own data in my previous role, it ships that the click-through rates were vastly higher on a single domain strategy versus a subdomain strategy. Yeah, absolutely. I totally agree with this because uh, even click-through rate is uh, good because of one brand. So booking.com is a, is, is a perfect example. I, I often speak about that. And even if, you know, you ask my grandmom that, hey, you know, what's the best uh, hotel booking website? She'll say booking.com because that's one brand that she has to remember, nothing else. And in our case also, Omeo, we have very hybrid structure. So we have subdomain in some cases because it's really, really difficult to maintain. And it's really expensive as well. So our plan was to go to CCTLD initially when we migrated. And for Germany, for example, which was one of the biggest markets, we could not get omeo.de. And sadly, uh, then we went for de.omeo.com. 
Now imagine a person who is uh, responsible for this market only. How would this person communicate with his friends saying, hey, have you checked de.omeo.com? That sounds so unnatural. So from branding perspective, from uh, you know the CTR and all the signals go together, it's, it's really difficult maintaining uh, different structure uh, different web structures than uh, just one domain and using uh, subdirectories there. Subdirectories, and so it's much it's much better to have the consistency. And one question: so do, do you still have the subdomains, or have you already migrated to, to the subdirectories? No, we we still have uh, subdomains because when I joined Omeo, the plan was already there, and we were like halfway there with implementation, so we could not change much. Yeah, but yeah, if I can change it, uh, if I can make a big change again, I think that would be the first change. Getting organic backlinks, so acquiring yes. high quality links, that's another important thing because right now for us, it's like 28 different domains. So we need to pre basically prepare 28 different uh, strategies for getting organic backlinks so that our domain is kind of trustful, right? But if you have only one domain, this domain gets all the value. And consolidation, then link consolidation exactly. for sure. Happy that you mentioned that Absolutely. for sure. The, the problem is regarding copying all the website structures. A lot of people go to Google. A lot of people go to many huge companies that have CCTLDs without thinking that these companies have millions or billions and they have all the links in the world of, like spontaneously that they don't need to worry about link building, right? And, and that these are, are also very legacy type of website structures, right? Like not one that have been necessarily created thinking about what is the optimal type of international setting necessarily, right? And unfortunately, a lot of people start by looking at the big players and saying, oh, CCTLDs, they are the ideal type of international web structure to geolocalize. And indeed, from a geolocation standpoint, they might be already by default geolocalized to the, to the particular country. But, but the cons for the normal company with, the, with not all the money in the world to building, marketing, creating, uh, or supporting dozens of domains independently might not be necessarily the, cost, the most cost-effective one to geolocate at, at the beginning, right? Also, I have to say something important. If you want to go to with subdomains or subdirectories, it's critical to geolocate every single one of them to their actual relevant country through the search console registering individually and geolocate to the relevant country i can see only one reason for let's say a new business uh, or a business that is entering in a market to eventually not choosing the subfolder strategy uh, legal reason in a lot a lot of the scenarios realistically going with subdirectories will be potentially yes, yes. be the most cost-effective way to do it. In some, it's like, for example, in the past, I have worked with Forex company many years ago. And mm -hmm. realistically, even if they wanted to go with subdirectories, they couldn't do it so because of legal restrictions indeed. And they had to, in their particular case, to, to restrict, for example, US users uh, to enter completely to their European targeted domains, right? Uh, because of legal reasons again. So of course, it's important there are a lot of different edge cases here and that is why it's also critical to go to an SEO consultant validating each particular scenario. But unlike many people think too, in many occasions going directly with a GTLD with some directories and geolocating them will be the most important solution, especially at the beginning. What is the best way that you have found to localize the metadata, the content as much as possible in the most cost-effective way. Realistically, the typical excuse 
and the typical challenge too is like I don't have enough resources. How do you deal with that? How do you handle that? It's a question of prioritizing stuff. Uh, sincerely, it is not a question of doing or not doing or doing it using machine learning translation stuff being better. Sincerely, I still find quite buggy. The idea is uh, really, really prioritizing stuff. Uh, so, uh, what is uh, okay? You are a Spanish company. What is your uh, second most important market to to work with? Is it let's say Italy? Okay, let's start with Italy. What are the the most important pages you need to uh, really focus for the Italian market? Let's say home page, category page, product page, these these specific product pages, etc., etc., etc. And so doing so, you can. Uh, surely uh, plan a, a long, long-lasting localization because it's not going to be done in one month doing so. But doing so, you are able to start localizing the, the most important things before. If you're planning to enter in a new market, then of course, keyword research to understand demand is mandatory step. So you cannot bypass that. So once you have that, just try to uh, note down all the uh, intense people are uh, people are uh, looking for and then just create a list of that and then based on those intents for different categories you can think about creating different templates and just rely on these templates to begin with and once you have more resources you can think about you know uh, building a nice structure for example we are working on a product here internally at omeo so this is basically about not just one template so we are thinking about using different templates and different keywords that we can use in meta tags. And for each keyword or keyword uh, set of keywords, we are checking a search volume, estimated search volume. And once we have a search volume for a set of keywords for any given category or landing page, then we can decide on the fly what exactly we want to use. So we use like different keywords and then check the median of that to understand the demand for that page in, in general. But when we're creating uh, meta tags, then we pick the highest uh, search volume keyword and then create uh, meta tags dynamically. But that's a cost uh, expensive. Uh, that's that's an expensive solution. And I think simpler way would be just uh, noting down all the intents and then creating the templates and relying on them. And for that, as uh, John Luca mentioned about this machine learning based solutions, so I think you can totally rely on that. So that would be cheaper than hiring an agency who writes this content for you. Just you know, do your research, create these templates using these machines, and then share uh, these templates with these agencies who can verify the content yes. for you. And if they have to make some changes, they can do that. And that solution would be much cheaper than relying on them to generate this content for you. So your approach is a hybrid, go with machine-based automatic type of, uh, of generation first, then yeah. on a, for review purposes, go to human validators, human people, native people, who can revise if what you have generated in the first place is correct. What is the technology that you use? Yeah, well, there are some ultra smart technologies, for example, DeepL. So there is a translator called DeepL, which is apparently much better than Google Translate for most of the European languages. Well, there are some exceptions like French, for example, but for many other languages, it works so awesome. I mean, you. Even if you're editing, you do not need to make much changes, like 90% accuracy, which is totally acceptable, right, for the first phase. And then you share this content agencies and they can make minor changes and you're fine with that. The thing is, we've done this a couple of different ways in the past. So we, in the past, we're doing app reviews. 
So we had 150 reviews and we narrowed it down to there was basically 12 templates we needed. We hired a, um, uh, an agency to do the translations and then basically replied to the various um, comments based on the particular template. So we hired a native language speaker. Some of the comp feedback we got from the people was, you know, Google Translate crap. So even if you do it right, you know, people still perceive it to be Google Translate. The other thing that I think I, I look at it, if we're ever doing translation, ideally base language is English because the translation tools have more data to process. But if you, if you are honest about your writing, your quality, it's not amazing in the first place. You know, you know, when people say, well, Google Translate doesn't do a great job, honestly, a lot of the content a lot of us are typically producing is not amazing. You know, it, the grammar is not perfect because as native English speakers, and I'm probably going to offend a whole lot of people, we're not great on grammar. People who learn English as a second language actually often know grammar better than we do. So I think we need to be realistic about the content we're translating is not amazing in the first place. Typically, the things which I try to advise um, markets is translate key things at the breakpoints. So again, working with a, the, the global jobs company, they found in one of their markets, the interaction rate for English speakers was I think 10 to 20 times lower than the native language speakers. Um, and that particular market has a very high level of English. Um, so again, use your Google Analytics data to understand where the breaking points are. Also be aware if you've got a JavaScript heavy website, um, the Google Translate will often break things as well. So look for translation of key breakpoints such as login, checkout, um, terms, conditions. So make sure they're translated properly um, because a lot of the times is, you know, we can be very much on a high horse that, you know, Google Translate, you know, it's not good enough. You'll find your users who can't speak the language are using Google Translate anyway. So I think it's about making it easy for your visitors. You know, you can very much sit on that high horse that, you know, we would never lower ourselves to Google Translate. Your customers are using Google Translate. You can see it in your analytics data. Look to help your consumers and sort of get off the high horse that, you know, Google Translate or DeepL is not as good as it could be. I think Bing is slightly better in some languages. So I actually love Bing Translate. Um, so yeah, so look at your data, identify which markets or which languages are struggling to perform actions in your, in your website that make you money. Make sure key items such as privacy policies and legal terms conditions um, and check out login pages are translated properly. And then ideally help your consumers. If they're having to cut and paste your content into Google Translate, or they can pick a competitor that has a badly translated website. If they're relying on Google Translate, just do the hard work for them. Indeed. I have to say that it's about what Gianluca mentioned at the beginning, prioritizing on one hand, and then being a little bit smart about how we can get there faster at the beginning with the minimal effort. And when, when we reach a certain point, we can be really picky about it and we can be as optimal and to make the most out of really the opportunity because unfortunately, sometimes the translators won't necessarily select the actual term that is actually popular to search for those particular products or services, which you expect that this is something that um, a native marketer, not necessarily a translator, a native marketer will be able to pick up or understand using also search volume and integrating more data sources into the decision-making and validation process. I think that is important. Just to wrap up today's episode, which is the top tip that you think that we haven't covered yet that you would like to share with the audience when saying goodbye? 
Yes. Uh, regional nuances, push chair, baby chair, stroller. So I, I think that's a big thing, how you're approaching regional nuances if you're in a massive market. Mm -hmm. um, that's a big consideration. Important in Spanish too. So many ways to say cars, so many ways to say apartments, for example, indeed. I would more generalize this uh, same concept. It's basically about serving user, like right user experience. So localization, for example, and then supporting your local currencies as well. And then if you're supporting sp uh, sp uh, like Spanish, local language and local idiom spaces, everything. But if you're not supporting, let's say the pay payment gateway they prefer, then you're again, uh, the, the entire funnel is broken. So I would think about optimizing the entire user experience so that you are not just getting traffic, but you're also converting that. And then you are getting these users once forever. So I would focus uh, on that along with, you know, focusing on SEO elements. But yeah, user experience is definitely number one thing so that you're not just getting traffic, but you're getting high quality traffic, which is converting. Which is at the end of the day, an actual goal for SEO, right? You just don't want traffic, you want actual customers at the end of the day. Yeah. One of the effects I see in this, in this sense is websites that are using globally all the same imaginary. And when it, it, it's not correct, I mean, uh, one thing it means something visually to in India and one thing, the same thing means something else in Italy. And uh, so also pay attention to these uh, details. No, it's not just written content. That, that, is, that is great advice. Thank you very much, Gianluca. And thank you, everybody. Uh, thank you very much for your very limited time. Really appreciate it. And uh, looking forward to have you soon again in another episode of Rolling Mondays. Bye-bye.